0: Hey, would you please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 1. And uh, if you have a Bible with you or your phone, it would be great if you could look at the text that we're going to read this morning. 2020 is behind us. Uh, Can you believe it? It it was one of those years, honestly, that people are going to talk about for decades, maybe even centuries. It was a year that was filled with um, struggle and There was political turmoil, there was economic turmoil, there was hardship through uh, economic uh, downturn, and obviously the pandemic was the biggest news of the year with uh, hundreds of thousands of people dying. And it's one of those years that maybe you're happy to see gone, and it was a really tough year for you, Uh, Maybe for others, it was a year that, yeah, it was hard, but it it had some uh, joy to it and it had some goodness to it as well. But everybody would say it was very different and difficult. We're going to be looking at the book of Hebrews for the next number of months, and we're going to see that the book of Hebrews uh, was written to people who had their own struggles and their own difficulties. Uh, The Bible is always written to people Uh, that were living in a specific time, and it was written to them for a specific reason. And so Hebrews is also that kind of a book. It is written to Jewish believers who are living in the Roman world who were struggling and uh, were really um, being pressured on on different sides for different reasons. Um, There's a lot of question, if you look into Hebrews, as to who wrote it, who it was for, um, when it was even written, there's like tons of questions regarding the background of it. But what we do know, just from seeing throughout the, the whole book, is that it was written to people who were followers of Jesus. And they knew the Old Testament well, so they were most likely um, Jewish believers. And they were living in the Roman world. So, so picture this. Picture a small house in ancient Rome. I don't know if that's easy to bring into your mind's eye. Picture a courtyard, maybe some trees, and then imagine um, 20, 30 believers gathering together to read scriptures, maybe, from the Old Testament, maybe to sing some songs and to pray for each other. Imagine those believers, then, living in the context of a Roman town and struggling with the difficulty of being a believer in Roman society struggling with the pressures of having to debate their neighbors and to kind of defend the fact that they're following this person named Jesus Christ. And the difficulty of doing that day in and day out is beginning to weigh down heavily on them. All they want to do is live life, raise their families, do the work that they love to do, and live without these debates and without these pressures of what it means to be a Christian. And some of them, even in this little church, are saying, you know what? Maybe I'm just done with this. Maybe that's enough. Like, I just can't stand all the debating and the pressure, and I just want a simpler life, and it would just be so much easier. Think of them as tired, discouraged, scared, or anxious. And it's into this context that the author is writing this letter. So if you have your Bible, look at chapter 1. Kids, if you have the uh, sermon notes handout, we are going to be in Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1. And I'm going to begin by reading the first four verses. It says this, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The author here begins by saying Jesus is better and is the final revelation from God. Jesus is better. You're going to hear that theme throughout this whole book over and over and over again. It's going to point to how Jesus is better than anything else. But the first thing to look at here, right in verse 1, it says that God spoke that God spoke, that God spoke so that we could understand him. That might be something that um, seems so plain and so obvious to you. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home. You're used to having the Bible around and to this idea that you can read the Bible. It's the word of God at at any time. But imagine this, that God would speak, that God would communicate with his creation, with the world around him with people like you and I. And what the author wants us to understand here in the text is that Jesus' communication to us, Jesus' life and his actions, supersedes all other forms of God's communicating with us. So God has spoken in different ways to people throughout time and history, before Jesus arrived, and now afterward he's speaking through Jesus, and it's the better way. So in the text here it says, that he spoke through the prophets. You can see that in verse 1. He says, He spoke to our our fathers by the prophets. So you may think of um, prophets like Jeremiah and the prophet Hosea and the prophet Malachi. You go through the Old Testament, probably even including um, people like Moses and Abraham, who we wouldn't put them in the prophet category of their books, but the Jewish people would have seen them as prophets. Those people, the author says, Those were real people that God used to speak his words to us through. But not only these prophets, it says before that, it says, at many times and in many ways. So sometimes it was just the word of the prophet, but there was other times where God spoke through events and through different things. So you might think of the events like the parting of the Red Sea, when Israel went through and saw this magnificent miracle before them this event that happened before their eyes. Or maybe you think of Jacob's ladder and the dream that he had where God was speaking to him through a dream and through a vision. All these different events and visions and circumstances were the other ways that God graciously communicated. He spoke. But here's the key word. It says, but in these last days so there's where there's a contrast here but in these last days now the the means by which god is speaking to us the last days meaning since christ went back to be with the father till he returns so this age that we're in right now in these last days the way that god is speaking to us is through his son jesus so jesus doesn't get rid of all the Old Testament, but what he does is he is the greater, the better expression of God's communication. So God is communicating, and his best form of communication is Jesus. Now, imagine again, these are Jewish believers in this little Roman town, and they have grown up and have always appreciated the most, the preeminent way that God is going to speak is through the Torah and through the prophets that was like number 1 and now the author's saying those are those are amazing those are true reflections of God's word to us but he's saying now here's what you need to consider the best way that God is communicating who he is and his message to us is his son Jesus just lifting up Jesus the preeminence of Jesus as the final revelation from God and so How is Jesus revealed? Well, he lists a whole bunch of things, and we don't have time to look at them all. But if you see, starting at the end of verse 2, he says that he's appointed Jesus the heir of all things, and that he's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of the nature of God. He upholds the universe by his word. So these are like just sweeping and huge Um, phrases and sentences that describe Jesus and who he is, I just want to think about one for for a couple minutes here, is the one in verse 3 where it says that he is the exact imprint of of his nature. The exact imprint of his nature. This word literally means he is the exact character or the exact imprint. You think of characters maybe as in like... um, The Jewish language written down would have been in characters, or even nowadays we think of Japanese or Chinese characters. But even more than that, it's talking about this idea of an imprint. So if you've ever played with Play-Doh, I played with Play-Doh when our kids were younger, we had Play-Doh. You take this little ball of Play-Doh, and maybe you stick your thumb into it, or maybe you take a a print that you have to play with, or some sort of object, and it's going to give an exact imprint that's what this is talking about. For the Roman mind it's thinking a letter that is rolled up and then sealed with melted wax and then the person uh, usually like a leader or a king would seal it with their ring and so into that wax would go the exact imprint of the ring that that leader is putting in there to give to give the letter the authority that it needs. That's what the author is saying here this is who Jesus is. Not just a great moral teacher, not just someone to look to as a wonderful example, though he is all those things, but what he is actually is the exact imprint of God. So if we want to know what is God like, what would God do in this situation, what is God, how would God interact with people, we look to Jesus. If we want to understand how does God view sin or how does God view relationship, we see the exact imprint in the person of Jesus. Years ago, there was a a broadcaster named Larry King. Some of us who are maybe older would remember him. He had a TV program where he would interview people. And somebody asked him if he could interview one person in all of history, who would it be? And without hesitating for a moment, he said, Jesus Christ. So the person then went on to ask Larry King and they said, Okay, if you could interview Jesus Christ, what would be the one question that you would ask him? And again, Larry King didn't hesitate for a second. He said, I would ask him if he was really born of a virgin because the answer to that question changes everything. So Larry King was getting at exactly what the author of Hebrews was saying here. If Jesus truly is God in the flesh, come as a babe through the, through the birth of Mary, through this miracle of God becoming flesh that we just celebrated at Christmas, If this is who Jesus is, it changes everything. And so the author of Hebrews is starting his letter right at that place, saying Jesus is God, and that fact should change everything. Every decision we make, every discouragement we face, every difficulty, every joy, it is all changed by the fact that Jesus is God. Paul, the Apostle Paul, reinforces this in Philippians 2.6. He says, Actually, starting in verse 5, it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Verse 6 says, Who, being in the very nature God. So the Apostle Paul affirms this by saying, What Jesus did when he came to love and to serve and to be an example for us was that he was God. He was the very nature of God in human form. And so, for the rest of chapter 1, and we won't go over it all, but you can read it. For the rest of chapter 1, the author then shows how even angels, these miraculous beings that came and brought messages for God, how angels don't even compare at all to Jesus. Jesus is superior to angels. And in terms of his communication, angels have nothing on Jesus. But when we get to chapter 2, And chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, really should fit in with chapter 1. It's all one thought together. But in chapter 2, it begins with a warning. Now, in Hebrews, there are five warning passages. And these are passages that when you read them, they will probably make you uncomfortable. And that is actually the intent of them. They are meant to make you uncomfortable. They are meant to cause you to reflect on what the author is trying to get you to think about. It's to cause you to really deeply take stock in your relationship with God. Okay, so in the coming weeks, we're going to address some of them. Some of them are more difficult than others. This first one is, is not so bad. It's just a regular warning, which still could be challenging for some. But we're going to use good biblical principles to guide us through understanding these. Because you might read some of them and you'll be like, "I am I a believer? If I don't do these things, will God reject me now? And so what we want to practice is good Bible interpretation. So we're going to use other scripture to help us understand it. And we're also going to use this principle of using the clear in scripture to help us interpret the unclear in scripture. Okay, so in the coming weeks, you'll see us kind of putting that into practice. But let me read these verses for us. This is the warning that the author has for us in, in response to understanding that Jesus is supreme. He is the very nature of God in flesh. Verse 1 says this, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable— So here again, the author is using uh, rhetoric, actually Jewish rhetoric, to help us understand that angels are not superior to God, but they do actually prove that what God is doing is real. So he says, the angels in the Old Testament brought this message and it was true. It it bore to be true. But now how much more would would the truth and the reality of Jesus' message be because he's so much higher and superior to Christ himself? And so he begins by warning us not to drift. So He says, do not drift in verse 1 there. He says, don't drift lest you drift away. And remember, this is to a people that were familiar with the sea. It was around them. They were familiar with boats and shipping. And so they would get this mental image of not having a good anchor down. I remember when I was a teenager, we went uh, sailing once in uh, Lake Champlain, which is in upper state New York, spent a week out on the boat. It was great all day sailing along. And then at night, if we'd sleep in a bay, we would have to put an anchor down and make sure that it was down really well. Why did we do that? Well, because in the night... Uh, The winds maybe would pick up or maybe there would be some waves that could literally take the boat from one end of the lake to the other or could ram us right into the shore and would sink the boat. This is the image that the author wants the reader to get in their mind that if we don't take to heart the truth of the reality of Jesus, the drift and the tug and the pull of this world will pull us along and could um, end up being damaging to us, to our faith, and to our understanding of who Christ is. So it might be something, you know, if we think in our current day and age, it might be something like the issues, the social issues of our society. Maybe it's related to war, or it's related to issues of sexuality, or maybe it's just related to faith in general. These are like crises of faith. These are questions that we wrestle with. But it might be also something just a lot more simpler, just kind of lethargy in life, kind of getting bored with things related to God. Like there is any number of things that can do that. I, I was thinking of uh, this summer when the pandemic began. Uh, Liz, my wife, she's a, she runs and she encouraged me to start running. So I actually got into it. And in the month of June, I was running every day that month. It was amazing. Through the summer, running three times a week, really loving it. And then come October, November, December. December, I ran one time, honestly. That was it, okay? And all it was was the cold and the darkness. And the year was getting kind of long, if I was honest. And all these things just kind of, I was like, you know what? I just don't feel like it anymore. And it was the drift, Right? The drift. And and maybe you can think even in your own mind of what would cause the drift for you. Because this is a warning for all believers. That the drift can happen to every single one of us. That's what the warning is. It's like, this is not just for some people. This is all of us. The drift can happen. There's the push. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, And as a matter of fact, if you examined a hundred people who had lost their faith in Christianity... I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out if by honest argument. Do not most people simply drift away? Now, we don't have any proof, and C.S. Lewis has done no studies to prove that, that this is the majority. But if we were honest with ourselves, most of us would, if we were honest, we would probably admit that the drift and the pull and the tug of all kinds of issues, and just life in general, can easily pull us away. And probably even many of us, if we thought about it, we could name people that we've known in our lives that have left Christianity, some for reasons that, that you can dialogue over, but others for reasons that, man, you couldn't even put your finger on it. It's just a drift. It just kind of life took over and pulled them in a direction. This is what Hebrews is reminding us. This is, it's, it's telling us that this is a possibility for us in our faith. And so, what is the response? What, what are we called to do to fight this drift? Well, he says it in the, the first sentence there of verse 1. He says, we must pay much closer attention. We've got to pay attention to what is going on around us. So to stay anchored, kind of stick into that that shipping analogy to stay anchored down, we need the anchor to be solid, and we need to pay attention to make sure that it is staying in place, so that we are not drifted and and bashed away. And so God has given us so many ways to enjoy that uh, that kind of anchor, that that holding on and staying close. But the one that I just want to talk about, just in closing here, is to hear from God through His Word. To hear from God through His Word. It is a gift of God that we actually have the Bible to be able to read. We can, we can buy it for pretty cheap, or we can download it for free off the internet for free. It is God's way of communicating to us, and it's, it's his way of helping us stay tied to him. Now, hearing from the word of God is a lifelong project. Okay, and I don't know if that encourages you or discourages you, but this is a book that is so deep, so broad, there is so much to study, there is so much involved there that you could spend literally your whole adult life studying and reading it and still not get to the bottom of it. But one of the things that, that is the benefits of this lifelong project of studying and reading the Bible is that it keeps showing you more and more of Jesus. The Bible is meant not to be mastered, not to be able to say, oh, I know more verses than this person, not to be able to say, look, God, I'm reading it. Are you happy with me? The Bible is given to us as a gift so that we can know Jesus better. Remember, the whole point of this warning and of this whole first chapter is these first four verses is that Jesus is better than anything else that we could even think of. And so the best way to discover this better is to discover Jesus through the word of God. Psalm 19 verse 8 says, The precepts or the word of the Lord is right and it's to rejoicing of the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, and it's enlightening to the eyes. So the word of God is this, this communication to us. It's Jesus in the word. It's the meaning of Jesus in the word. So we get to understand what he's like. And so this year, 2021, is, is, is probably a time of year where you're even reevaluating your habits of life. Let me encourage you this year again to go back to the word of God. To look at the word of God. I once heard a story Uh, about a student and a professor. And the student went to the professor and said to him, he said, I want to learn all about scientific observation. And so the professor said, okay, that's great. Here, why don't you start with this? And he pulled out a really large jar, and in the jar was a fish. So he said, look at this fish and observe it, and I'm going to come back to you and give you a test in a little while. So the student began to look at the fish and began to observe it. And he looked at it for 10 minutes and thought, man, I think I've observed everything that I could observe. And then after a while, he looked around for the professor and he wasn't around, so he looked some more. 30 minutes, and he discovered new things. 40 minutes, and then the professor came back and said, what have you discovered? He said, I've looked carefully and I've seen all kinds of details. I've seen the fleshy lips and I've seen the lidless eyes and I've seen the the fin on the back and the forked tail, and the professor looked almost disappointed, and he said, "You haven't even noticed some of the most basic things. Keep looking." And so as he was looking, he spent one hour, two hour looking and looking and looking. And the professor came back again, and, and he listed off all of these things that he had seen, more and more details. And the professor said, "Good. You're seeing more. Keep looking." And as he did this, he still came every day seeing more and more and more. And the message that he kept hearing from the professor was, look, look, look. We have something more valuable to explore than just a fish or a thing. We have the word of God, which is the greatest treasure that reveals to us Jesus and who he is. So this year, and through this study through Hebrews, I hope that you will be driven back to the Word of God to get the greatest insight into the the person of Jesus Christ who will change your life and who's changed the world forever. Look, look, look.